You know, in, in line with that, I, I just wanted to share this. Um, when the Bible says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, I think a lot of times people, they want to follow him without denying themselves. And, and, and part of denying yourself is, is having skin in the game. And when we don't, um, how could I say this? I, I don't want anybody to be offended. Um, whenever we decide to lay down our own selves and make it about him, we're actually following him and we're actually hearing from him. And there's actually like, like testimony begins to occur in our life. When I was uh, young and I was at Millersville, I think I was like 19 years old. And there was a Wednesday night boys group that met at this church. And I signed up to volunteer and they pulled this number on me. I don't know if you guys have ever signed up for a church to volunteer where I showed up and I wasn't, I was the only helper and the leader of the group. And I was 19 years old. And, and I remember like going in there for the first time and a kid peed his pants and, and uh, it was bad. And I remember like saying like, I don't think I'm coming back. And, and I remember the Lord saying like, this is what I have for you right now. And I was like, okay. And, and now I was with them for, for a season helping out in that boys group. And I'm not saying like, if you volunteer, you hear from God. What I'm saying is if you don't have any skin in the game, you're probably not following him. If that makes sense. And when I heard him say that we need 21 volunteers, that might sound like the entire children's ministry. We have uh, probably 90 plus volunteers already up there. And it's like once every four weeks. So you're not like up there forever and gone like I was at that church. Um, <laughs> like you actually rotate with people. And, uh, and it also brought to mind uh, when I was in seminary, there was a, a special needs farm for, for women. And, and I had the the privilege of, of I, you know, I went like a handful of times, but something happens when you lay down your life that brings your walk with Jesus closer. And in this, it was called um, Quest Farms. And I remember all I did was just show up with the little mermaid in a bag of popcorn, like a huge bag. And I would sit there with all these special needs women. They loved me, by the way. They were all excited. All they wanted to do was watch the little mermaid with me. And we would sit there and I'd watch that movie and talk with them a little bit. And then um, I, I would leave. But man, there was just, it wasn't a big deal, but it was just a contribution towards the kingdom that brings the kingdom into reality. And I think everybody needs that in your life. Uh, and I, if I was to tell you this, uh, that we need 80% of the people volunteering at this church to actually make it work. And uh, so I'm so thankful for everybody that does volunteer. If you're not, consider it because you want to figure out how to not just contribute, but how to lay down your life more in simple ways because they add up and uh, it makes that walk more valuable. So I want to, he'll be out in the lobby. There'll be a QR code. If you guys want to sign up for that, that'd be great. I want to jump in today. I want to talk to you about relationships and about what the Bible says about them. And the sermon is called the art of relationships. How many of you feel like you could maybe do a little bit better of a job with relationships? and having closer relationships. Yeah? I, I want to say this. The Bible actually has a lot to say about what we should be doing in a small group of people, but we often don't see that because of the society that we are, that we need people. We often see ourselves as individuals. And so a society is either three things. It's either tribal, individual, or unified as a whole. Do you guys remember 9-11? Like a week after 9-11, everybody was unified. For like one week we were, at least. Do you guys remember COVID? That was more tribal. 
Like nobody was unified when it came to that. Like everybody was kind of tribal in their own tribe. But the majority of myself growing up, uh, I was born in 1980, and has felt like an individualistic society for me, at least. And the problem with being an individual, and this is something that, that you have in common with me and I have in common with you, is that there's a few problems that we have, biblically speaking. One of the first problems that we have is we have a log in our eye, according to scripture. And when you have a log in your eye, you are the least qualified person to be making decisions for your life. And if you think about the way that we're made, you can't see yourself, you can see everybody else. That's the way like the eye and the brain functions. And so the Bible talks about how before you pull the speck out of somebody else's eye, have your log removed. I don't think that's like, what I think the Bible's trying to say with that is like, you need a group of core people that can tell you what you're blind to. And how many of you guys know that everybody in this room is probably blind to some pretty, I don't know if you guys have ever made big decisions without getting some advice on it and it blew up in your face. Yes. Okay. So we all need people that aren't just going to help us with a speck, but are actually going to help us with the log that's in our eye. And I believe that if you're walking in humility, you will seek advice and you'll seek counsel and you'll seek what other people can see, knowing that you are not designed to see yourself, but you are designed to see everybody else. The other problem that, that we, we deal with is, is that there's a constant temptation to be pulled into the path of least resistance. Oftentimes, when things are going well, everyone calms down. And what I see that's missing in most pastors' life is when things are going well, no one's cheerleading you and coaching you to take it to the next level in your own life. We tend to just kind of settle down. Instead of having a vision for what it is that Christ actually wants to do in our life, we say, oh, thank God nothing's going wrong. I think I'll take it easy. Well, meanwhile, we actually stop our development and we don't begin to develop again until some panic like hits us because something happens. And so there's a constant battle, and this is where a small group comes into play. When you have a group of people that are around you, that are wiser than you, that are smarter than you, that, that um, aren't afraid to tell you what's wrong with you, right? And I'll get to that in a second. You keep developing who you're meant to be in Christ, not just in bad times, but also in the good times, which we desperately need. Here's something else that I also see is that I, I, I wasn't like mentored growing up. Was anybody in here mentored by a Christian? Amen. I see it's all working well. Um, <laughs> there is no such thing as mentorship in an individualistic society, right? So, so nobody's mentored. And so what took me 30 years to learn, I could probably mentor somebody in two years. So the, the bar for most Christians isn't very high. Well, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that how many of you guys know when spiritual disciplines and laying down your life becomes a, much of a reality, you can actually leave sin behind. The majority of Christians are still in sin, believing that Christ died so they could sin. I'd say that's not too developed, right? But there is more that God has for us. And when we don't develop one another, and we're not working in small groups, and we're not mentoring each other, what ends up happening is that what could have taken a year is now taking a decade, and enough tragedy finally hits us and enough tribulation that we finally develop into something that somewhat looks like Christ. Meanwhile, we could have humbled ourselves, found somebody who was further on in the walk, said, would you please mentor me? Because I want to understand what this Christian walk is supposed to be and actually make it a primary focus and begin to develop ourselves to look more like Christ. 
I don't think that's happening too often. I think what's happening is that a bunch of individuals gather together to hear what Jesus is saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. The Bible talks about that too. But even Jesus, the one whom we say we follow, met with a small group of people. And they got to hear the parables explained to them. They actually did ministry. They went out two by two. And they did ministry together. That's often what's not happening. I'd say the majority of Christians is a part of the large crowd that has an opinion about what Christ is saying. But most people are not only not just held accountable to what they're hearing, but they're not practically walking it out or applying it. Then it becomes about hearing the word instead of doing the word. So you have a lot of Christians that are hearing the word. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to show up and hear the word. That's actually anti-biblical. We're supposed to do the word. And without a small group and no one's holding you accountable and you can't actually see yourself, you may see yourself as more highly than you ought and you're not being held accountable to the place that you're saying with your mouth you want to go. I know that's a lot. Is everybody okay? So the Bible has a lot to say about what relationships are supposed to look like. I want to kind of dive into that with you this morning. There's a few things that they're not supposed to look like. And so there's a lot of bi- like warnings in the Bible about, about groups that we just need to be careful of. One is this, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. The core of the people that you're hanging out with should probably be of good character. The people that you actually see regularly, right? Well, why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. A little bit of yeast leavens the whole loaf, according to Christ. And so we just need to be careful of that. Did you ever hear somebody say, um, sometimes people say this, well, I'm going to send my kid to public school because they need to be a light in a dark place. Has anybody heard that? And then some people are saying, like, I'm not going to send my kids um, to public school because um, it's too corrupt there. I'm not saying one's right or wrong. What I'm saying is it's all about where your kid is at. Plus, you just need to be careful of the relationship your kid has. It doesn't say that they can't go into public, but their core group of friends. How many of you had mothers that were concerned about the friends you were hanging out with? Moms already know this. I'm trying to talk to the dads right now, okay? (laughs) That you need to be careful of who you're hanging out with. They will, in almost every case that I can imagine, whether someone's dating or whether someone's with a group of friends, and they say this, I'm going to bring that person to where I'm at. It's almost always that person ends up where they're at. Almost always. Here's another one. One who walks with wise people will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Okay? I have been, I have been a fool in my life. I, I know you guys can't believe it. I've been a fool. And I've caused harm, yeah. I've caused harm. And I've caused other people to be foolish, okay? I, I, thank God those days are behind me. But listen to what this is saying. One who walks with wise people will be wise. The problem with hanging out with idiots is that you think that you're wise among the idiots. You guys, because, and, and this happens all the time, like, um, especially this happens with, like, if you're involved in social work and you're dealing with people with really bad circumstances and really bad backgrounds, you begin to think you're 
in a good place because of the bad place that they're in. The same thing's true with wisdom. You can begin to look at how stupid these people are and be like, hey, I'm pretty, I'm pretty set here. No, it's, it's that the company you're keeping isn't wise. You do not want to be the wisest person you know. Amen? You want to have people that you're surrounded by that are wiser than you in many different areas of life that you can go to and get advice from. And you need to get a friend. Because when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about people who know you, who know your weaknesses, who know your strengths, who know and understand the way you see the world and can stop you from doing stupid stuff yourself. Has anybody in here ever done anything stupid? (laughs) Raise your hand. All right. Some of you are laughing about it. Listen to this. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I don't, I don't know when it is. Um, uh, Brian Connolly. Let me tell you how I met this guy. I found him in a basement. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, no, but... Uh, Brian, if I could just tell you, tell you this story real quick, he was an answer of prayer for me because I, I had a really hard time transitioning, transitioning into college. I, I loved my high school experience and I had a ton of friends. And when I got to college, I just felt like extremely lonely. And, and I was going through some stuff myself and I said, Lord, I, I really want like a brother. I really want somebody who I can be like friends with, who I can, because I didn't even know really how to be Christian back then. And I, I, I really wanted someone to come along my so, uh, side of me so that we could kind of figure out what this Christian walk is supposed to be. I met Brian my second semester, I think my freshman year. He showed up at Millersville. And him and I met, we started having a blast and we, we began to talk honestly about what the Bible says and about kind of life and everything. And we really became best friends. And, uh, and I, I'm so thankful for him. He's allowed to say anything to me. But I remember there was a certain part or time in our relationship where we stopped talking poorly of other people. And I, I can't tell you what year that was, but I just remembered like there came a point in time where him and I stopped complaining about anything. And I don't know if we were holding each other accountable to that or even if we were trying. We just, we kind of both decided that we were just going to kind of raise the bar of who we were and not accept anything less than that. that, that that's what a friendship is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you a better person. So you're not supposed to be walking with the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And so there's a place where you're not scoff. How many of you guys know that like everyone, it's common to scoff. It's common to, for everybody, oh, and I hate this so much. And Lord, help me. It is so easy to have an opinion about something. But the Bible doesn't say find the person with the best opinion. It finds the person with the most fruit. So we're supposed to be judging people according to their fruit, not how good of an opinion they have. Who cares about an opinion? Right? I want to know what it means to have fruit, and I want to go to that person and ask them what they have to say about it. It continues to say this. Do not make friends with a person given to anger 
or go with a hot-tempered person. That is so interesting that that is the one sort of like area where the Bible says, don't be friends with this kind of person, someone who gets angry. Uh, the other day, I remember we were, uh, I'm sure you'll remember this, we were in the car and uh, one of our children were pretty angry. And I remember before we got in the car, I said to him, do not remain angry, your anger is gonna spread like that. And I think about 15 minutes later, it had already spread, it spread into me, and I was pretty hot myself, <laughs> right? So there's something about anger that spreads. And the Bible wants you to know that you're not to make friends with an angry person. Or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Another thing we're supposed to be careful of, a person of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think if, if I could just emphasize this first and say this, like, you're not supposed to have a lot of friends. Friends actually take time, and it's impossible for someone to have a lot of friends. There may be a lot of people that you know, and you might be friendly towards a lot of people, but you're supposed to have a core group of people in which you are able to do what the Bible says with this, with this group, and it actually does take time. And let me say this. You're supposed to be doing what the Bible says in your life so the grace and power and kindness of God pours out on your life that you have plenty left over for that core group and beyond. So some of you are in this room and you're saying this, I don't know if I have time for friendships. I'm just so busy. One of the reasons why you're so busy is because you don't have a core group of friends that are speaking into your life, so you're struggling in this life by yourself thinking that you can see it and understand it clearly, but you have a giant log in your eye. And you desperately need the help of other people who are wiser than you that will speak into your life. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Listen to this. So a person of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I, I, believe, I believe that that is possible and that you can find it and that 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 person actually becomes family in your life, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but de deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds. So a friend that is faithful doesn't mind pointing out to you what is wrong faithfully to you because their goal is that you become everything that you can become in Christ, right? That doesn't mean that we don't have gracious words for each other and that we're not encouraging. What it means is, is anybody can butter you up. But once, once you have a friend that is so for you that they don't mind offending you, even if it hurts the relationship, they're so for you that they'll say what they need to say to you, that's a true friend. I don't think many people have that going on in their lives. It also needs to be invited in. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and a person's advice is sweet to his friends. There was a time in my life when advice was not sweet to me. And, um, it's, and this is so arrogant, and I so apologize. I used to think that I had the best advice for myself. I used to think that I was like just the smartest, and that nobody could actually tell me anything. Does that sound like a teenager? That went well into my 20s. 
But when you have something, like this is, what, what, this is why it's so sweet. When somebody cares enough about you to give you advice and you're in a humble place and you say, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Here's another one. It's in uh, 1 Thessalonians. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are also are doing. There's, there's a place... I don't care how confident you are. Until people around you validate where it is that you're going and build you up and encourage you, it's very hard to have a self sort of realization of where Christ is calling you and actually get there. What I mean by that, there's something so powerful about the validation of people. Now, you might say this to me, Adam, well, I'm validated by Christ. And you are. But when you're surrounded by that reality, it's almost like the lid is off. And we're supposed to be edifying and encouraging each other. Here's the reality of what everybody has. Everybody has the enemy speaking the opposite to them when they're in private. So when you're amongst friends and they're saying this to you, hey, are you still struggling with that? Yeah, I'm still kind of messing up in that area. Let me say this about you. I know that you're going to overcome this because I know you love God and I know that you can. And this is what you've overcome in the past and I know you can overcome this too. And I am so excited to hear when this is just a memory and no longer something you're dealing... There's something powerful about that. Or let's say you're just going through like a hard circumstance and it's tribulation and somebody comes alongside of you and says, how are you doing? You're saying, well, you know, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. Let me tell you why you can handle that. This is how strong you are and this is what I've seen you overcome in your life. And Christ is with you and I know and I've been praying for you and I feel like this is what Christ is saying about that situation. There's something powerful about that. Another verse says this, and let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. You can't do these verses without other people. You actually can't do the gospel without other people because you're called to love others. But I think we're so busy loving other people in a generic way and not in a very specific personal way that we somehow skip over the commandment. I have responsibility and there's a, there's a home and there's people that I'm commanded to love and I want to love and here they are and then there's supposed to be this other group of Christians because first come the brethren that I'm loving and edifying and encouraging and taking care of and then the world. Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the problem with, with again, how I see it. There's, church is good and it's good to hear what somebody is saying about this book and it's good to have these verses read to you. What's not good is that I, I can't, I haven't figured out how to do this yet, send you out of here and say, are you guys committed to finding some friends? Everyone's going to find three friends by next week. Ready, go. And then like you guys come into the, into the door. I said, did you find your three friends? Did you find these people? The practicality and accountability cannot happen in a large group. It only happens in a small group. When we don't have a small group, we're left undeveloped. And things are too vague and not specific. And nobody gets held accountable to anything. And then we become, we become very good at hearing the word and not necessarily doing it. Do you know what I do 
exactly what people expect of me. That's what I do. I love accountability. I love authority over me. I love as much of it as possible. This was amazing. I've never seen anything like this. I don't think I shared this with you. Oh, we just had a prayer and leadership meeting recently. And, uh, and, I, and I, I love our denomination. I, I love being a part of it. But sometimes we go to these meetings and they can be like a little bit more traditionally charismatic. And I can tell you what's going to happen through the whole meeting. Exactly, because it happens at every meeting. I showed up to this meeting. This is what the leader said, our new state overseer. He said, I want you to park far away so that you'd give preference for people who can't walk. It's probably a nice thing, right? He goes, I want you to bring the biggest offering you've ever brought. He goes, I want you to sit towards the front. I want you to show up 20 minutes early. I want you to greet people you've never met before. And after the meeting's over, I want you to linger and continue to talk to people. And he laid down like seven or eight expectations. Every pastor that I know of Everyone was there early. Everybody parked far away. We, we collected the biggest offering we've ever collected. People lingered, and the spirit moved so powerfully. I'd never seen anything like it. Why? Because we met the expectation of the person that was over us. It was awesome. And I, sometimes I feel like people think, oh, cool, I don't have anybody expecting anything from me. That's not cool. That means you're going to remain undeveloped and lame and probably most likely being tempted to be a fool and acting foolish. You want expectation upon you. You want authority over you. You want to have people expect you to be better than you are next year than you are this year. That's a gift. But without that expectation, I'm sorry, we tend to follow the path of least resistance and settle down and settle in and look at people who are maybe that appear less than us and judge them to make ourselves feel better because they don't have the right opinion like we do. Oh, good night. Who wants that as their life? Let us consider on how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is seen drawing near. Let me finish with this verse. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. I think that, that, that phrase there, above all, keep fervent. Why? Because it's easy not to. It's easy to let your love go for somebody. It's easy to find yourself with not a lot of time to actually put forth the effort to love those that have been put in your charge and those whom you voluntarily put in your charge. But I, I, I want to say this to everybody in the room. How many of you would like to walk in the things that God has called you to? Yeah? There are some basic things that need to happen. That stuff doesn't happen apart from a group of people. I heard Chris Valentin once say, if you can envision your destiny and you're by yourself you're believing falsely. Destiny always involves a small group of people. And I want to encourage everybody in here, like, yes, you need to be praying. Yes, you need to be reading the word. But you need to find yourself a small group of people that you're going to walk this thing out with. You want them to have expectations for you. You want them to say things that are going to cut in a faithful way. 
You want to have a group of people that are going to build you up and encourage you. I said this in the first service, and I got some laughs. When I was younger, as a pastor, if you can imagine that, uh, I wasn't very wise, and I'd often stick my, I stuck, stuck my foot in my mouth often. And I remember this one person came in, because they were in the hospital, and I didn't come visit them. And I didn't know they were in the hospital, and usually the hospital will call and say, so-and-so, put down Praise Community Church as your church. They're in here, and they're in this room. And then I would go and go to that room and visit them, you know? And, uh, and it was always awkward if they, if they said that Praise was the church, but I'd never seen them before. <laughs> but I'd pray for them still. And I remember this one person came back, and uh, they were upset, and they said, I was in the hospital and you didn't visit me and nobody else visited me either. And I was like, what a reality check. That must mean you need more friends. Right? And then I was like, did I just say that out loud? <laughs> I, think, I think sometimes like, we think people should be doing more than what we're doing. And it's like, no, like, what a, what a decent reality check. Now, if you're in the hospital and nobody comes and visits you, you shouldn't be offended. Who are you going to be offended at? You should be like, man, I need to get some friends. <laughs> Amen? Right. Everybody should be clapping. <laughs> Such a powerful point. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, man, fr- friendship's important. It's so important. And you need, you need to make time for it. You need, you need to do your life so well. And so wisely and get some friends to help you with that so that you have enough time and energy that you can actually love people in the way that the scriptures just told you to. I think what we end up doing oftentimes is making ourselves weary with a lack of advice, a lack of wisdom, running circles in our own life. And then when we finally get a breath, we entertain ourselves on our phone. And meanwhile, what our life could have been had there been a tighter circle speaking into our lives and directing us and helping us and, and who knows. But don't end up in the hospital with no friends. Amen? Would you guys stand? Lord, I love the expectations you have for us in this book. Man, they are high expectations. Thank God it is. That puts us on an incredible journey with you where we get to depend on you. But when I read these scriptures, it talks about not just us depending on you, but it looks like there's supposed to be a group of people that we're surrounded by. It looks like we're supposed to have friends that are actually closer than family that we're walking with that are speaking into our lives and helping us and that we're helping them and that we're encouraging one another. Forgive us if we haven't taken friendship seriously enough to actually do something about it. I pray that as people leave here, that they would envision who it is that you have for them in this season and that they would make time, reach out, call, communicate, and actually form what it is that these verses say we're supposed to have. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, could everyone sit down just for a second? I, I, uh, I want to remind you guys that Mark Heidel is in the lobby. He has a QR code, but I also just... I. I I don't do too many conferences here. Like Brian, Brian would often do more conferences here when he was on staff. I don't do a lot of conferences. It's not because I don't believe in them. It's because um, when I do something, it's, it's like I'm pretty passionate about it. 
And one of the things that, that I felt like we were supposed to do this year was we were supposed to have uh, Danny McCollum in. Uh, Danny McCollum is incredible. He has his, his own um, group. It's called The Prophetic Company. He's out of Bethel. I've already shared the testimony about the guy not having shoes. Do you guys remember that? And I was with my son, and it was just an incredible day. To my son, it was the coolest day of his life. That came off the heels of listening to this guy for 25 minutes. This man, and the way that he speaks, has such faith that it's literally imparted when you hear it. And if there was one thing, if you were to ask me, what's God doing in his, in his bride this year? I would say he is teaching them how to hear his voice more clearly. That's what I would tell you 2023 is about. I believe that we need to hear his voice clearly so that we can hear in 2024. But this is, how many of you want to do me a favor? Raise your hand if you want to do me a favor. Here's the biggest favor you can do for me, is you can go and you can attend this conference that we're having June 2nd and June 3rd. Um, signups, there's a QR code up there. We're going to leave that up uh, for the remainder of the service, even after we're done. If you sign up for that, you will not be disappointed. And the other thing that, that he taught me in those 25 minutes is uh, he covers like, um, there's multiple ways to hear from God, but he covers about 12 of them. And the one thing that he says is oftentimes parents assume that their children hear God in the same way, and it's rare that your child hears God in the same way that you do. And I just believe that this is going to be an incredible tool, not just for you, but for your family. And I want to encourage everybody to come out. We're going to be providing childcare if you need childcare. But man, you want to, you want to come to this conference. It's, it's really exciting. And uh, I just believe that the same thing that he did for me, he's going to do for you. So I encourage you guys to sign up for that. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.